First Peter chapter two. Y'all been enjoying this series? It's been good? You awake? Awesome. Um, the cool thing about this series for me has been uh, knowing that we've not only been studying it on the weekend, but we've all been going through it together throughout the week. And if you're just now jumping in, basically we are setting aside eight weeks to be formed spiritually by the same passage of scripture as each other. So we're taking different texts on the weekend, but then in addition to that, we've put together a really cool journal you can get for free at freshlife.church slash one Peter that'll allow you to study it every single day throughout the week. And it's been really, really remarkable. But if you are just jumping in now, it's, it's, a good, it's a good place to jump in. Uh, so 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 5, and then verses 9 through 12. It says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious." coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Then jumping down to verse nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I want to preach to you from these verses a message that I'm calling Home Away From Home. Home Away From Home. I'll never forget when I was in Bible college, there was a few occasions where maybe students who, whose parents didn't live super far away would invite me over for dinner. And they could hardly say the sentence, would you like to? And it's like, yes, what time should I be there, right? And if I knew then what I know now, I would have then said, is there anything I could bring? And when they invariably said, no, we've got it, I would have brought something anyway. That's called manners, right? Listen up, young people. No one ever taught me that. And, uh, and, 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 and this is the thing my wife has, is so good at. Like, just always knowing to bring something. It's just always show up with something in your hand. It's just, uh, and, and don't show up early. These are the other rules, right? And, and, and don't stay too long, right? Leave, leave them wanting more. You're like, but I have such a winning personality. You especially need to leave them <laughs> wanting more. I think like five to seven minutes late is kind of the sweet spot to show up, right? Because I know on the hosting side of things, what a tornado of activity it is to get ready for them to come over so that when they show up, you can appear like, oh, I've just been lying here eating chips and guacamole for hours. What took you so long? As you're like trying to catch your breath from shoving toys into crevices in your home. You know what I'm saying? 
And you're sort of like the last 15 minutes, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then finally, at that, at that time, when they don't show up, it's like this huge gift. You're like, okay, we have five extra minutes. What else could we do? Because we were just in triage for the last hour, you know? And, and I could actually do a couple things. So that kind of, that, that's a little gift, right? Uh, God, God bless you. Here's five extra, extra minutes, right? But that, that person who shows up 20 minutes early, like, what are we going to eat? You're like, I'm going to eat you, right? Uh, and is there anything I can do to help? Yeah, you could leave and, and circle the block a little bit. That would, that'd be great, right? And, and, and so anyhow, I, I, I'd show up for dinner. And, and, uh, and it always felt so nice to not be eating college food, right? So I remember my Bible college, the only thing barely edible was the salad bar. And that was, that was debatably fresh, right? And I'm like, I'll have a crouton tonight. Thank you very much, right? That, that, was, that was tough. And, uh, and I'd, I'd eat someone's a little bit, maybe a little bit of cottage cheese. I mean, it was just like, yeah, I don't even know. This looks like it could kill me. And, um, and, and you know, then I, I bought a hot plate. I bought a little burner hot plate in my, my room, and I would make ramen noodles, right? I'm dinner for one, yay me. And, uh, and, and then I got so sick of, of ramen noodles that I, anybody been there? I started eating them dry. I would just put the seasoning in the packet. I'd be, anybody ever been there? It's like, this, this is going to be better than cooked ramen noodles. Like, thank you, Madu-chan, right? You see what I'm saying? And so the, the home-cooked meal... Oh, I'm not in my dorm. I'm not in a room surrounded by male bodies, right? And just smelly and just, oh my gosh. And uh, I, had, I had one roommate who, who I'm, I'm pretty convinced didn't shower the whole semester, right? I, and, uh, and his name was Gilbert. And anyhow, it's just God bless him wherever he is in the world, right? Gilberto, that's what I called him. I, saw, I called him Gilberto. And I was like, my nickname for him was B.O. Gilberto, right? And, just a smelly affair. So being in a home, being in a home for me, it wasn't my home, but it was a home away from home. And I, I remember one time they had little kids. I don't really even like little kids. Daisy, I love you. Just like normal little kids. Uh, I, as, as far as like my upbringing, I never really liked little kids. And, and, and yet it was like, I was playing with little kids. I'm like, I'm like the fun uncle. You know what I mean? Just, I was just so excited to be in a, in a home situation. It's kind of like camping. You know, camping... It's not your home, uh, but it kind of, it's funny to make a little home in the woods, right? And the camping thing is just a funny thing. Uh, I heard one comedian say, we work hard, 40, 47 weekends, 48 weekends, 49 weekends a year, so we can take a week or two and go pretend like we're homeless. That's what we do when we're, when we're camping. It's my miniature house. It's my miniature area where I, where I hang out in. And, and we, 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 we go camping. You know, we went this, this week, uh, if, if that's what you want to call it. We take so many things now that I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm like this far away from having to rent a U-Haul to go camping. And, uh, but, but it's fun because you have moments like this. I brought a little clip. There's no spiritual import at all. I just wanted to show you that clip of my son running around and falling over because that's what he did for two days. And we were, we were mostly concerned he was going to do that into the fire or to the Dutch oven. That was, uh, please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't. He did escape once. Um, we, we found him. He wasn't far. He hadn't eaten much. And, uh, but, you know, camping is a funny thing because the whole time you're kind of dreading 
having to deal with the after effects of camping. You know, like your clothes are going to smell like smoke for oh, what, a year. Like I, I feel like I still smell like smoke and, and just getting all the things sorted out. And here's where the lawn chair goes and here's the things and the Yeti cooler has to get cleaned. And, you know, for me, it's really just like, how fast can I do this so I can take a shower? Is anybody with me at all? Like I was talking to someone, they go, no, I just dump everything into the garage and I go shower. I'm like, I don't want to, I wouldn't enjoy the shower thinking of all the things I got to do. I still want to be smelly when I put things away so I can really, as I get that filth off me, I really want to, and you're like, why are you telling me all of this? Here, here's why. Here's, here's why, honestly. Because what Peter's trying to get us to see is that just like when you're camping, you've created a little home that you're in. It's not your real home. It's a little home you've made away from home. Home away from home. That's what he's saying this entire life is. That's what he meant when he said, I beg you to see yourself as sojourners and pilgrims. Y'all, he's saying we're just happy campers here on this planet. And I know you, you, maybe you got a fifth wheel and you can't relate to any of my struggles. And you're like, I got a solution for you, bro. Winnebago. Here, that's great. You might, you might have a Winnebago situation going on in this life. But for the best of us, we're just passing through. This life, this earth as it presently is, is not our home. Peter wants us to see that if we're Christ followers, we have heaven to look forward to. Dawn is coming. That's our true home. And he wants us to keep our heart there and to keep our focus there and to keep our priorities there and to keep our treasure there. Remember, you're a sojourner. You're a pilgrim. You live on this earth, but you can't stay here forever, right? It all goes back into the box at the end. This idea of being the richest person in the cemetery, that's no lofty quest. Keep your heart focused on heaven. Keep your treasure focused in heaven. That's what he's saying. We're, re what are we? We're resident aliens. A resident alien is someone who lives in a country. They just haven't become a citizen of that country. They live there, right? I got, I got friends who have naturalized. I got a friend who was just telling us the other day, he's like, I'm a, I'm a citizen now. He had to say the Pledge of Allegiance and everything. I was like, they actually do that? That's, that's kind of cute, right? And, and, and I, I, when I lived, I lived overseas for one semester of Bible college. I was in York, England, and I had this, uh, this, this flatmate who was British, and I made it my entire goal the whole time to get him to disavow the queen and pledge allegiance to the American flag. I did constantly. I was peppering him. I'm like, yeah, but turn your back on the queen. Like, what's that all about? Like, monarchy. Like, and, and at the last day, he put a pair of cowboy boots on that he bought. I don't know where from, because they thought that's what he thought maybe you had to do to become a citizen of this country. And he, he, as God is my witness, Eddie, Eddie stood up there and he said, pledge allegiance to the, to the flag. And I was like, bro, how quickly you turned. Then I was like the devil. Like I jumped on him for abandoning his country. I'm going to tell on you, get you kicked out, bro. You, you, that's treason. You could get hung in Hyde Park for that. And, um, but what Peter's saying is, is we're resident aliens because when you are born, you become a citizen and we were born again. When we became Christ followers, 1 Peter chapter 1, we were born again into a living hope. It, made, it was made possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So a citizenship began. Philippians says our citizenship's in heaven. That's where our Savior is, and he's coming back. So we need to keep our hearts there, keep our eyes there. But even though that's our home and we're currently living here, we have a home away from home. And guess what? We're doing it right now. 
Because as we gather together, he said, as living stones, as we're assembled together, we have a a place to do life. We have a place to be home. We have have a place to to smell the smells of heaven and to feel the comfort of heaven and to to sort of get that taste of heaven and get that, like, I I know the dorms is where I live, but I'm I'm in that home for that evening. We We get to come in this place. We get to come together. We get to gather together in the name of Jesus Christ. We get to do life in groups and serve together and give together and pray together. And as we come together, stone upon stone, guess what? This is a holy habitation. Y'all, there's nothing normal. There's nothing common. There's nothing ordinary. Christ is present in our midst, able to heal, able to touch, able to save. This is, this is an outpost of heaven right here on planet Earth. Fresh life is a place for us to experience the power of God. Even though we're far from home, this is our home away from home. And that's why as we worship Jesus, there are those moments, aren't there? Much like I felt like I was homesick being a student. I was homesick. So that home-cooked meal, just it caused me to feel something. And it it engaged me on on a deep level. It's because all of us, listen to me, are homesick for a place that we've never been. I came across this week as I was studying in preparation for this message, a paper written by a student at the Harvard School of Design. He was getting his, he, was, he turned it in as his Master of Architecture, arch, let me try that again, his Master of Architecture thesis, right? That sounds intense. And uh, as he turned it in, it was basically a paper that was all about the role architecture has played in our world ever since Adam and Eve were driven out of Eden. Because of course, that was the beginning of architecture. We lived in a garden, we lived in a perfect place, and we were surrounded by the presence of God, but driven out from the garden, what was Adam and Eve's immediate, they they went and made a city. Mankind began to, uh, architecture was our, our immediate solution. From that moment forward, we've been constructing buildings. And he says in the paper, it was kind of our defense mechanism for losing access to the presence of God to create a place, to create a building, to create a structure. And of course, this came to an ultimate point in the Tower of Babel when they gathered together and God had said, scatter into the world, but they said, no, let's, let's stay together and let's build a tower whose top is in the heavens. And literally, they were trying to get what they had lost in the fall on their own ignoring what God said to do, which was to, go, to get to heaven through sacrifice, which ultimately pointed to Jesus. Man said, no, no, we can build our way. Construction and, and being architects, that can get us back to heaven. And of course, it didn't work. He said that building and all buildings from that moment forward are essentially attempts to replace the sense that we lost of being at home. For it was not a building that was home. It was being in God's presence that's home. Notice what he writes, and let me now quote from Kyle Dugdale. First time I've ever quoted a thesis paper from Harvard University at Fresh Life Church. You guys, miracles do happen. He says, architecture has struggled to mitigate the effects of the fall, but the city is a poor substitute for the Garden of Eden. Architecture performs at best the role of a fig leaf covering humanity's exposure. In the end, it is perhaps not so much a cure as it is an expression of humanity's sickness. What is he saying? He's saying there's an essential emptiness in all of our hearts, an ache that we can't shake. There's a yearning, there's a longing, 
And he's saying it's possible to try and build a bigger house, try and build and get more square footage, bigger, better property, all in an attempt to feel a sense of, of, of connection that we cannot experience except through the presence and the power of God. And that is what we're here to taste. That is what we come together in the matchless name of Jesus to worship and to adore him. This is not about us. We're here to make Jesus famous. And as we worship Jesus, as we lift him up, something happens. But it's not just that we sing a couple songs and listen to a couple sermons, because Peter says we have to be stacked one upon each other stacked one upon each other as stones. And, and to the extent that we're doing life as Jesus followers, but off in isolation, what are we? We're just random rocks. We're just random bricks. You see, see bricks strewn across the highway like they fell out of the back of a pickup truck? That's not going to do anything. That's not going to clothe anyone. That's not going to warm anyone. That's not going to reach anyone. But that's so oftentimes how Christians end up living. Because of bad experiences they've been through or whatever it is that would cause them, they do life in isolation instead of cooperation and tragically miss out on the power that's possible when we do life like living stones stacked one upon each other, beside each other, next to each other, and able to be built up into what God has been seeking to build, his house. It's always been about his house, pointing forward ultimately to my father's house where there are many mansions. But in the meantime, this is the house of God. It's our home away from home. And there are many benefits to doing life planted in the house of God. I've, <laughs> I've picked out five. If you're taking notes, jot them down. Number one, that was a big fly on my Bible. Uh, it's a place to belong. It's a place to belong. The house of God is a place to belong. And isn't that ultimately what we crave? To be, to be known I think one of our great fears, though maybe we've never articulated it, you know, when we think about our fears, we think about claustrophobia or arachnophobia. I've got a crazy, wicked fear of snakes. You know, people say their, you know, fear of public speaking is almost paralyzing at times. And, and, and you know, you think, I think, honestly, one of our big fears is the fear of being invisible. You're like, no, that's a superpower I wish I had. No, it's not. It's not. A, I mean, maybe there are situations, you creepy pervert. <laughs> but <laughs> what am I talking about? That's the loss of the filter. Uh, third time out the gate, y'all. Sorry about that. <laughs> but it's kind of true if you think about it. If someone's like, Could you, would you rather fly or be invisible? And someone says invisible, like, hmm, not dating you. Uh, <laughs> I think we really are, though, afraid of being invisible, that we could walk into a room and no one would notice us, that we could be hurting and have no one, have no one see. I talk in my book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, about a, a day where I sat having an epiphany in a Starbucks in Seattle. Um, I was highly, highly new to grief. And we had come as a family to Seattle to just take a little bit of time to heal. And, you know, we stayed down by the water. And I would walk every morning along the Pike Place Market before it opened. And there was sort of like an eerie fog over the, over the bay. And I just, I just felt so much sadness. And, and um, it seemed to, to be a good place to be sad. You know, the, the gray skies and the cold weather. And, and uh, I found myself sitting in the Starbucks having a cup of coffee and trying to do my devotions, honestly trying to believe any of this and trying to feel anything that resembled faith. And I felt myself in a free fall 
just just doubting and and feeling fear and feeling just almost crippling levels of of uh, of separation anxiety um, with my little girl in heaven and and so um, in that moment I looked around the room it was packed every table was occupied every place at the bar was taken and I was having one of the worst moments of my life and no one could tell and I thought man no not one person here knows how sad I am. And, and, then I, and then the epiphany was, how many times had I sat next to people who were at the end of their rope, but I hadn't had a clue? And you know what? Not one person that day ever asked me how I was doing, and it would have been rude of me to try and get them to. That's not what a Starbucks is for, but y'all, that's what the church is for. This is a place to belong. You belong here if you're hurting. You belong here if you're mad. You belong here if you're angry at God. You belong here if you don't understand any of this. You you belong here if, if you don't believe what we believe. This is a place where you are welcome. You are cared for. Listen to what I believe about you. I believe you are made in the image of God. I believe you have value. I believe that you are not your guilt, not your sin, not your shame, not the hard things you have been through. You are a person who Jesus died to save. You are a person who God has a plan for. He cares about you. You are not smart mud or a monkey wearing pants. You were divinely created, knit together caringly in your mother's womb. You don't have to believe that. I believe that for you. And I believe that God has great things in front of you. I believe that we are the people of God that are called to come alongside you, to speak life over you, to speak your real name over you. Not worthless or stupid or or weirdo, but loved and chosen and called and equipped. I believe you have a royal destiny over your life. You are not common. You are not ordinary. Y'all, you are destined for impact. You come up in here, you belong here. You are cared for here. You're celebrated here. You can tell us your fears here. You can tell, this is a safe place to do life. We will be the people around you, strong when you are weak, and then you can be strong when we're weak. We got your back. We're gonna raise your arms up. We're gonna pray for you. Rain or shine, we're gonna be gathering together to lift up his name. You can come up in here on the worst day of your life, when there's a funeral, when there's a wedding. Come on, this is the church for all seasons. If you're in spring or you're in summer, you're in, you're in winter, you're in fall, we'll do life with you. And I'm telling you firsthand, the church is there. On the, on the hardest times, the most trying times, the most beautiful times, God's people have rushed in. This is a a place where you're not going to be invisible if you're willing to let us into your life. If you're willing to get involved and get into groups and get onto a team, if you're willing to to let us know your name, you're letting, I mean, yeah, you can come in, you can go out. That's possible anywhere. But if you're willing to to, to be vulnerable, this is is a safe place to do this. The the home away from home, we're not home yet. We're bivouacking here, y'all. This is, we're, we don't have canvas and poles. This is, this is flesh and blood. We're, but but in, this, in this life in exile, as resident aliens, this is a place where you belong. And it's a place for you to grow. A place, secondly, for you to grow. Isn't that what Peter had on his mind? You're, you're, you're a baby. That's how you got your new citizenship, born again. But you need as a baby not to grow. It's cute when a baby's selfish. Oh, man, that little selfish little idiot, right? It's cute. We're like, oh, that's so cute. That baby is so selfish, right? So cute. And, uh, and yet when, when a 30-year-old does that, not so cute. So you got to take some of that baby stuff and set it aside. You see, growing old is not optional. 
growing up is. And that's why Peter says, it's in the text, he says, y'all, you got to lay aside malice, all of it. Deceit, all of it. Hypocrisy, all of it. Envy, all of it. Slander, every kind. You got to get rid of that stuff. I love that he says all of it, every bit of it, all of it, every bit of it. It's because no matter how much of it you laid aside, you're going to find some more tomorrow. You're like, I thought I got rid of all of that. I have more in my pocket. I'm still so selfish, right? And, and you got to keep, as you find it, setting it aside. As you find it, set it aside. You got you to declare war on your sinful desires because they've already declared war on you. Life is not a game to be played. It is a war to be waged. And you have an enemy, an active enemy who wants to destroy you, who wants to chew you up, who doesn't want you to walk in God's calling, who doesn't want you to walk with the light of Christ in your eyes, who doesn't want you to have the power of the Holy Spirit at your back, who wants you to be given over to every sin, to do whatever you feel. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. He is not afraid of cheap shots. He's not afraid of going below the belt. He has never once played by the rules, and he's not going to start now. He wants you to be addicted. He wants you to be in despair. He wants you to live for yourself because he knows what you need to know. Your own glory isn't glory, but the glory of the matchless name of Jesus, that is what taps you into a better and bigger story than just your little life. So he wants you to hang on to your malice, hang on to your envy, hang on to your jealousy, hang on to your vindication and your self-pity and your justification and your, I'm okay because I'm not as bad as so-and-so, therefore I, I feel okay in this. He wants you, your life to stay small. He wants you to stay petty. But if you want to grow up, you got a man or woman up and lay some of those things aside and keep doing that and keep doing that. There are there are things that have to be set aside. But for that to happen, you need to be seated, seated beside. I love that he immediately pivots to the analogy of the house again. Set aside, you're a stone, seated beside. You see, a stone gets sat next to another stone, and then another stone's on top of it. So yeah, we need to grow, but we don't grow alone. We need each other to grow. We need each other's prayers. We need to know that we're going to have to come before each other and answer those tough questions. How are you doing? How's this area going? What's, what's happening here? And to the extent that you run away from those things, you'll stay immature. You'll stay where you are. If you want to grow, you got to own up. Yeah, that is not cool. Yeah, I'm super sorry. I'm going to do life together. We're going to, we're going to own up to our failures. We're going to own up to our faults. That's how iron sharpens iron. The secret to setting aside all those things is who you're seated beside to lean into each other, to lean into one another, to realize that wasn't loving, that wasn't kind. I, I shouldn't have blown off my commitment to serve at that worship experience and, and not been there and left you hanging, right? I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. That wasn't cool of me, right? To, to, to the degree that we're able to own up to our failures and go, I'm, I'm hurting here. I need prayer here. I need, I need help here. We'll actually be able to grow together. Yeah. Growth is all about what you eat. Yes, Peter says you need to eat the milk of the word like with the urgency of a baby, with that commitment of a baby. You watch a baby eating, man, they're, they're all in on that meal, right? If you'll have that passion for God's word, you'll grow. Jeremiah the prophet put it this way, your words were found and I ate them, and your word to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. But I've found it's not just what you eat, it's also who you eat it with. And knowing that we're going to be asking and answering the question, how's, how's your time been in First Peter? What have you been learning? What's God been speaking to you? There's, there's something about that. If you're struggling doing the soap thing, then I would encourage you to get into a friend where, in a relationship with a friend where you're going to text each other, maybe your application. 
You're going to text each other uh, what your prayer was that day. You're going to, in some way, go through the soap in an interactive way so there's some sort of accountability. All right, let's, let's text each other once we've done it. And you tell each other our favorite part about it. What was our verse we picked for that day? Something that causes you to be eating it with somebody. Look, a meal alone is always a shameful thing, right? I mean, you got to do it at times. But whenever I eat alone, I'm like, I know I'm not having good manners. I know it's just, it's, there's, some, there's something so different about eating a meal by yourself. Uh, and, and eating a meal with, with, with somebody else and enjoying that time together. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, a famous preacher in, in London in the, the 20s and 30s and 40s and, and going forward. And what was interesting was during his time of ministry, uh, preaching uh, could be recorded. That came into existence. I came across uh, this last week, a tape cassette of the first sermon I ever gave, 2001. This is, this is the two months before September 11th. And I'm, I'm preaching my little heart out. I played the tape for my family. And they're like, you sound weird. I'm like, that's the tape. <laughs> but, but it's a funny thing because that wouldn't, at certain points in history, been a possibility. Of course, they could write it down. That's how we're reading First Peter, but, but recording. And Martin Lloyd-Jones was really resistant to the idea at first. He eventually gave in and allowed his sermons to be recorded and thus duplicated and spread around, and the world's better for it. And I've read his sermons, and in fact, I preached a series once called A Controlled Burn, and a lot of it came from some of the transcripts I read from his sermons about his encountering the Holy Spirit, and it really lit a fire in my life. But um, I think the book was called Surprised by Joy. But basically, uh, someone said, well, why are you resisting us taping your sermons? And he said, because it's not just about listening to the message, it's about listening to the message together. He said, if you go listen to this message by yourself somewhere, it will not have the same impact it would have on you sitting in a room full of other people going through that message together. And there's something there. And I, I, I think that there is a good, obviously, church online, but I think it's always going to be better if you can be listening with other people. I'm, I'm telling you, it's always going to be a more powerful experience if in cooperation you eat the, the message. So it's not just what you eat, it's who you eat it with. It's a place to grow up. That's what the church is. Thirdly, jot this down. It's a place to be a part of something bigger than yourself. What I can do, what I can accomplish, what you can do, what you can accomplish will never be even close to what God can do through us all. Think about it. Think about the millions of dollars we've been able to give away together. You have your five loaves and two fish. I've got mine. We all put them in together, and the multiplication happens in his hands. It's, it's after we put it in his hands, then it goes out. It's powerful. I'm telling you something about that. You think about the fact that this weekend we had the chance to do ministry in 13 cities. I couldn't do that. You could, we could do that. Think about Flourish. Think about the church in Deer Lodge. Think about Mary Market. Think about the life change happening on Fresh Life on television. The thousands upon tens of thousands upon tens of thousands who will listen to this message this week. I'm, I'm telling you, think about the watch party happening this weekend in Charlevoix, Michigan. Jared and Ashley, you rent a movie theater every single weekend to gather people in Michigan for people to watch this message. We praise God for what's happening in Charlevoix, Michigan, because you're gathering people, but that's what we can all do together. And it's, it's oh, I'm just gonna say it like, like I want to. Who's gonna stop me? We will never be able to do what God's called us to do without you, because we won't have the stones. 
We won't have the stones if you're not a part of it. We'll always have missing stones because you're living stones. And to the extent that you're doing off life off by yourself as a random rock, you're not going to be plugged into the power of what God's doing in the local church. It's the only human institution ever personally founded by Jesus Christ who said, I will build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So come to him, the living stone and you watch as he turns you into a living stone. We become like whatever we come to. We become like whatever we come to. And if we come to Jesus, who is a rock, we become rocks. Ask Peter, whose name was Reed, Simon, until he came to Jesus and he said, I shall not call you Rocky. Yo, Adrian, I shall now call you Peter, Petra, rock. You come to Jesus, you become like Jesus. That's why the word Christian means little Christ. We came to Jesus, we walked away like Jesus. And as we grow, we become more like him. Not just a stone, a living stone. That's the craziest kind of stone. We literally use the word stone when something's really dead and beyond life. We say that's stone cold, right? Stone cold, no, no, there, there's no life there. That's a rock. It's the furthest, that's the furthest thing from life. Why does he choose to use stone as, as what he wants to make us living like? Because it's impossible for humans to make a stone come to life, but not with God. So let me ask you, what in your life is so far gone that God can never bring life there? You would say it's stone cold, it's dead. There's no life, there's no pulse. I'm telling you, you give it to him. You watch him bring life out of that stone. Y'all, we get to be living stones. We were like rocks, but in God's hands, we've come to life. He ripped out that heart of stone. He replaced it with a beating heart of flesh. And what we can do together, it's, it, it always extends your reach to be a part of the church because you have the arms of all God's people multiplied that can do more through us than we could ever see him do alone. Fourthly, it's a place to make sense of rejection. These Christians were starting to feel weird for being followers of Jesus, getting made fun of. Persecution had shown up and it was only going to get worse. So he addresses this idea of rejection when he says in verse four, you came to him as a living stone. You're being rejected by men, but don't worry, you're being chosen by God. And then he goes on to say, don't forget about Jesus who was the living stone and he was rejected, but he's become the chief cornerstone. He was rejected, but look how it turned out for him. So we bring our rejection to God. We bring our pain to God. Here's what's happening at work. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And we go, hey, don't forget what happened to Jesus. That's like pretty much church every week, guys. It's like different versions of, hey, like I know that's really crappy right now, but hey, remember what happened to Jesus? And, and in fact, William Baker put it this way. I love this. He said, rejection is much easier to cope with when you remember the greatest person who ever lived was also rejected. And you're like, oh, all right. It makes sense of rejection. Church is a safe place to make sense of rejection. Look, you ugly cry every week. I don't care. I don't, bring, bring it, bring it. You're, you're, you're mad. You're, you're coming. You can barely move. That's cool. Get in here. Bring your rejection. Don't run from God, run to God. He can handle your anger. He can handle your fear. You're not gonna scare us away. Bring your rejection. This is a safe place to make sense of it. Lastly, church, the house, the home away from home is a, man, I feel, I feel so much about this message. 
And uh, it's, I love this part the most, except for the first four. <laughs> it's a place to welcome others. The house is a place to welcome others. There's this thing called the turn. I always think about when I get in an elevator. When I'm standing waiting for an elevator, I'm just hoping for mercy from heaven, for this elevator to have room for me. And you push my little button and I stand there and the doors open and all the people, I see it on their faces, annoyance. They just a few floors ago were in the same position I was in. But now I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I impeded your journey to the bottom. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I get in the elevator and they're kind of like, oh, they look at you like, oh, I guess we can make room for this idiot. Like they act all put out. You know what I'm saying? Like if you have suitcase or like 19 kids like I do, right? You're like get in kids, there's room, there's room. I'm always like, there's room for us. There's room for us. Tarasco, come on in here. Come on, buddy. And they're always like, okay, fine. This is the last time though, right? And then I do this, ready? Here we go. I get in the elevator and I turn. And the moment I turn and the doors close, I'm now one of them. And I have felt it a thousand times. Ding. Come on, can you believe these people? Because <laughs> as the doors open, I'm now one going, really? You need to go somewhere in our elevator? Because we've been here for at least 10 feet together. I guess we can make room for this moron. Let's never be a church that does the turn and all of a sudden thinks that grace ended with us. Let's never be a church that does the turn and now that we're, we say, we forget that just 10 feet ago, we were the ones asking for mercy. We were the ones hoping for grace. Let's always remember that we gotta make room. We gotta make room. We gotta create some more seats at the table. This is an end with us. It's, it's always gotta be a thing where there's space for more. That's why he says, in all of your pain, in all of your making sense of rejection, in all of your growing up, and all those things that are needed, and the church has a place for all of that, he says, never forget, verse 12, I love this so much. He says, to live honorable lives as you mix with unbelievers. Even though they might accuse you of being evildoers, they might say this about the church and that about corporate religion and that about blah, 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 and Pastor Levi's nine Lamborghinis and his elevator back cave that probably brings the helicopter in. All, whatever they're gonna say about the church and the crusades and the Salem witch trials, they're, they're gonna say all that stuff. It's gonna happen, it happened to Jesus but they will see your beautiful works and have a reason to glorify God in the day he visits us. Most theologians believe he's talking about the day that these people you work alongside, live alongside, go to school next to, stand before God. That's the day he visits us. Dawn is coming. The people in your life are gonna stand before God to be judged. And he says, maybe you could live such a beautiful life, even in the face of people who mock you and ridicule you and would never go to church with you, or so they say, would never believe like you believe, but you live such a beautiful and kind and gracious life that there's gonna be joy on the day they stand before God. The idea being they gave their life to Jesus in part because they did life next to you. Come on, let's keep having a spirit that says, let's make room for just a few more people. And so we, what do we do? Here's our, here's our posture with the world. We're gonna abstain from the evil, but not shame the evildoers. 
We're gonna, we're gonna be resident aliens, but respectful aliens. We're gonna love the culture we live around. We're gonna, we're gonna, and if you come back next week, we're gonna talk about what this is gonna look like logistically in some different areas. Many people agree, this is the hinge. This, this verse that we just hit is the hinge from which all of uh, the rest of First Peter flows. Okay, so it's just gonna get better and better as he unpacks what it looks like to live beautifully. That's the rest of the series. Dawn's coming, great. Life sucks sometimes, cool. But, but here's what it looks like to live beautifully as resident aliens. It's gonna be great. Uh, but, but, but our hope is, our heart is that more people would come to Christ and that we would welcome them in, welcome them in and, and make room for them at the table. And now let me end here. And if you're seated, everyone, just jump up to your feet. We're gonna, we're gonna close with this thought, okay? We become like living stones, and this was all made possible because of the one who was struck as a stone. And I want to end with this idea from Exodus 17. The children of Israel were in the wilderness, and they were thirsty, and they had nothing to drink. And so God told Moses to take the staff in his hand and to strike the rock. And because the rock was struck, the Bible says that water opened up from the side of the rock and flowed out, and they were able to drink it. We come to Jesus today and we're able to only because the rock was struck. And that was what happened when Jesus was hanging there on the cross. God in his wrath poured out the, the striking rod upon him. The Bible says all our sin was laid upon him. He was struck, he was wounded, he was pierced. His back was torn up with a whip. The reason the waters of forgiveness can flow and the waters of hope can flow today, that if you're here and you've never received Jesus, if you've never asked him to come into your Lord, I'm not asking about religion, I'm not asking about church attendance, or you know like three Bible verses, great. It's not about knowledge, it's not about performance, it's about your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that decision, let me just tell you something, he was struck for you. As he hung on that cross, you were on his mind. He's never been surprised by a bad thing you've ever done. He knew then about the worst thing you would ever do and he loved you anyway, he paid for it anyway, and he would have died for you if you were the only person to ever live. So now I wanna give you an invitation. Like I would if I said, hey, would, would you like to come over to my house for dinner on Friday night? All right, and, and, and I wanna invite you over, but my invitation doesn't presuppose you're accepting it. So you have to say, yes, I will come and accept that. So I wanna give an invitation to anybody who would like to give your life to Jesus Christ. Just a simple gesture saying, would you like to pray? Would you like to ask for forgiveness? Would you like to be included in a prayer we're about to have where you could have an exchange between your heart and heaven? So let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. Thank you, God, so much for your love. Thank you for your life poured out. Thank you that you're the rock that was struck. And because of that, the waters of salvation flow freely. We can become like living stones and see the dead parts of our, heart, our hearts and lives spring to life but only because of what you've done. As we're praying now with heads bowed and eyes closed, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit would be touching hearts and drawing people to yourself. If you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never responded to him, your heart's heavy. If you're honest, you don't have an answer for what's gonna happen to you after you die. You don't have peace. You don't have that promise of a relationship to fall back on. You don't have a living hope but you can because we have a living savior. If that's you I'm talking to and you sense your heart almost beating faster like God's calling your name, I would say that he is. And I would say respond to him while it's called today because we don't know what tomorrow holds. And there may be a chance down the road where you could make this exact decision, but this could be your final opportunity to get right before God. 
So I encourage you to receive that salvation. Say this prayer with me. I'm gonna pray it out loud. Pray it out loud after me. Mean it in your heart and God will hear you. The church family is gonna pray it with us to show that we accept you into our community. Say this, say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. Please come into my heart. Make me new. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name.